This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of At The Turn. Nick and Joe with you. I, Nick, am trying to remain calm. I'm trying to remain cool. Nick can usually see me while we're doing this. I have opted for no video, Nick, because my internet is very disappointing right now. How would you rate my freak out before we started? I would rate it as Patrick Mahomes in his most recent Super Bowl, where he's just constantly under duress and scrambling and just has has had enough but needs to maintain the composure to be the glue of the team. I would say that's that's Joe right now. Yeah, the Buccaneers defense is swarming me and I have no answer for it, but we're going to proceed if, with no if video. If Joe goes off the rails, he's going to lose me too. So <laughs> got to keep it together. So please, folks, the only thing I ask of you is to rate and review the podcast. Wherever you listen, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, please leave us five stars. Let us know what you think about the program. Also want to remind you that we are proudly presented by Piper Golf. Go to piper.golf for 10% off. Use that promo code TURN10 at checkout for balls, merch, a visor, a bucket hat. Nick, I haven't told you this. I'm going to tell you on pod. Okay. I'm going to get our friend back, Greg Montefort for another mm. holiday gift guide. Yes. And we're going to ask him about visors and bucket hats and get yes. into it with him. We're going to get right, into it. Yes. Before we get to our main topic, which is, uh, well, something that Nick wrote, I saw something that I, I, I have to touch on because you got a bit of a fascination with speed golf for a short period of time. Was that last summer or a couple summers ago? Or it, was, I, I, it was probably three years ago now. Um, I mean, I don't know what you think my experience with speed golf was. I, I did, I did nine holes of speed golf one, one time. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's that fascination. <laughs> it was, it was fun. I, I liked it. Um, I think speed golf has a place in, in the game of golf. It's, I, I think it's great. It's just, unless you're the first person to tee off that day, there's just no opportunity to do it. Well, unless you're the first person to tee off or a two-time Academy Award-nominated actor, Mark Wahlberg famously is psychotic about waking up at like 2.30 in the morning for like one of three workouts in the day. Apparently, according to a 2016 article by Yahoo's Dan Wetzel, 
The actor claims that when filming, claims that when filming, he gets his rounds in during the morning. Quote, I would tee off at six in the morning and run the golf course, Wahlberg said. We'd hit a drive and then just sprint to the ball and then the caddies would come with the carts. We'd grab a club, hit again, and then sprint again. We'd play all 18 in about an hour 15, maybe an hour 20, depending on the putting. So if Marky Mark had it going with the flat stick, he says he's <laughs> completing a round in 75 minutes. Do you believe him? 100% I believe him. Oh. Lifestyle's the rich and famous, man. He's got caddies. To, he doesn't. He's not even lugging the clubs around. For sure that's doable. Um, I guess it is because the duration of a golf course, like in length, if you're staying on track, is probably like four or five miles. So that's not that crazy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You do the math, six... 6,000 yards, what is that? It's like three miles, like three or four miles. Yeah, so um, depending on how long, of course, he's playing and how straight he's hitting it, for sure. It's not, it's not that bad. And um, I imagine Wahlberg is a um, decent golfer. He probably hits it straight enough that he's not adding a couple extra miles onto that loop. So I, that's for sure believable. Okay, yeah. I I'm inclined not to believe a claim like that, but you broke it down pretty simply, and you're right. The caddies being in the carts, I think, is a really huge factor. Him not having to actually carry his sticks makes this more plausible to me. Yeah, for sure. Do you like Mark Wahlberg? I was surprised. What do you say? Two-time Academy Award nominee? Two-time Academy Award nominee. He was that nominated seems light. For- that seems light. <laughs> really? You thought he got nominated for Shooter? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know how little I know about, about actors and pop culture, but... Um, yeah, that's true. More than two nominations. I would have taken the over on that. That's, that's all. For those wondering, he was nominated for The Departed and The Fighter. Have you seen those films, Nick? No, no, I haven't. I've been told, though, that I, sh- that I should see The Departed. You should see The Departed. Yeah, yeah. check it out. I'll check it out. So, Nicholas, I was doing some Googling. I was trying to come up with some current and future at the turn topics. And for the second time in less than a month, when I was Googling information, the top result on Google was an article written by Nicholas Heidelberger on GolfLink. It was not related to our topic. It was actually about Vijay Singh. And I want to talk about that <laughs> in a future episode about Vijay Singh getting kicked off the Asian tour. I'm doing some research. We'll circle the wagons on that. But again, delaying the main point of the podcast today, because I have to ask you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot, buddy. Mm-hmm the bottom of this article on GolfLink, it says, quote, Nick Heidelberger is the editor of GolfLink and an active member of the Golf Writers Association of America. Tell me about that. What does that mean? Um, it means it just what it says. I mean, I'm, I'm an active member of the Golf Writers Association of America. Actually, uh, it's, a, it's a somewhat recent development over the summer. My um, application was approved and I'm, I'm in this network of I mean, golf writers. So um, I wish I could elaborate more. I'm going to have access to to some materials and, and documents. And I think a lot of the the purpose of the organization is for people who are like covering tour events week in, week out, like on-site event coverage into, you know, benefit kind of their, their setups and their accommodations and things like that. But um, I am part of the network. Yeah, I mean, um, there's not much else to say. 
All right, let me get down to brass tacks. What does this mean for us in our podcast? What kind of perks can you get us? Are you now voting for like the PGA Tour Player of the Year? Do you get a Heisman vote? What's going on? Um, you know, the ballot has not hit my mailbox yet, so I'm still. I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I, I'm sure I could. Uh, you know, like I said, I've been a member for a couple months, so I'm probably not going to. Um, you know, be on any boards, but you know, much like much like your, um, you know association with uh your your beloved golf club that's that the name is is uh, escaping me right now like the longer i'm i'm part of this maybe i will network maybe i'll go to some events maybe i could be on some sort of board and, and start okay. making decisions on behalf of the the rest of our brethren like the golf writers in the united states uh, but for now i'm just kind of uh, like i said just getting my feet wet Maybe you can be a personal advisor to to Greg Norman in the future. I don't want to say anything about live because live news dates like spoiled milk out in a hundred degree heat. But uh, I know by, by the time this airs, I mean Norman might not even be involved with live anymore. I mean, who knows? That's true. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, let's get to it, Nick. The article is titled "The USGA's Biggest Win in the War." On distance, you're a big proponent of rolling back the golf ball, so I'm not surprised to see this come from you. <laughs> wow, I mean, you're you're kind of you're, you're taking some like some pretty cold takes from from like years ago and and, and applying them, but it's sure. all good. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, my idea for this story actually came when I was on paternity leave, and I would go mm-hmm. on these long walks with Sydney every day, um, and just kind of you know the 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 juices are flowing. I'm thinking about stories and concepts and things like this. And, and it just kind of, I think from a conversation we had on this podcast, like, like what are we doing? Like it, it, golf, golf as a whole, what are we doing? We're, we're making equipment that goes farther. We're making golf balls that go farther. Um, there's all this money spent on, on hitting the ball farther, but then there's to, to presumably make the game easier simultaneously courses are getting longer. It's all this money spent on making, on adding new sets of tees that are further back, playing it longer, which makes the, makes the game harder and takes longer. So I'm just like, what, what are we doing? Like manufacturers of equipment are working to solve one problem to make the game easier. Meanwhile, course architects and golf courses are, are working to solve a different problem to make the game harder um, so I didn't really know where I wanted to go with this concept, but my, my first thing was like, can can we agree on what we're what we're all trying to do, and like we could all you know do it, or or does the data even back it up? Like, are we really hitting the ball farther? Are we really getting better at golf? So that's kind of how I started looking into this topic. Well, it's interesting, and your article reminds me of that time period, and we're talking sort of that late nineties early aughts where there were some rules put around the size of driver heads. And I think we'll have to touch on it a little bit. The introduction of the Pro V1 golf ball is around this time too. And I think that's a big aspect of it. But it is. So oh well, well not not to interrupt you, no, but yeah, ahead. that was that was part of my original draft was was also the Pro V1 debuted in October of two thousand. So right in the middle of this huge equipment boom. Um but I think the reason that's kind of not included in this article, there's some other things that we can talk about that aren't included in the article as well. Um, it just kind of distracts and it becomes too convoluted if you're trying to 
account for every yard that was gained. Um, so yeah, that's an absolutely, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge part of it too. And, and Tiger Woods and, and the influence he had on the game and the people that he brought into the game probably have a huge impact on the average driving distance and the average scores. Because if you're, if there's a lot of newcomers in the game, they're going to shoot higher scores than I get the ball as far. Well, this really brought me back to playing golf in high school, which was right in the meat of this time period. I, I started in, uh, Clackamas high school in 1999, graduated in 03. And I had a off the rack set of clubs because I was still pretty new to golf when I was in high school. And then my senior year, I saved up all my summer earnings and I bought a new Titleist driver, the 975J, which was the top of the line driver you could get back then. And my older brother, who doesn't really play golf that often, still has that club, not necessarily in his bag, but it's in his garage and it's still around and I pull it out whenever I visit him. And I saw that thing recently, and it looks like a club that Walter Hagen would have swung. It it, it is the <laughs> tiniest head you could possibly imagine because we've just become so accustomed to these Volvos on the end of our shafts that we're using. But it wasn't that long ago. I, I, I know 20 years is a long time in the realm of our lives, but in the terms of golf, like the driver head size, I mean, you can go into it more because you did the research – but the the growth from the mid to late nineties to the cap that we had was humongous in such a short period of time. Yeah, it was when I when I sat down and actually the USGA was kind enough to share some data with me. Um, I mean, that was the first thing I looked at. I didn't look at this era of equipment. I was looking at the first thing I was looking at was distance. Like I assumed when when I got this information that was. This distance was going to be continuing to go up and up and up and up for the last 25 years. But what I saw was it went, it spiked huge from the from the mid 90s to the early 2000s, and it's been flat for the last like 15, almost 20 years. So then I started to look at okay, clearly it's not the equipment today. It, it was something that happened in that time. So that's when, like you said, the Pro V1 came out, and driver heads went from basically 250 cc's in like 1996. The Callaway Big Bertha, the Titleist 975D were like the most popular drivers, and those were around 250 to 270 cc's. And then by 2002, there was no limit on on driver head size, and there was some like some drivers were 500 500 cc's coming out, um, and that's when the USGA capped it at 460. And since then, it's it's been flat. We've actually we've actually lost lost yardage as amateur male golfers and which is which i think is awesome i mean i would never would have bet that we're hitting the ball three yards shorter in 20 well 2019 was last year there was data for so 2019 then then we were in 2006 so cc's is cubic centimeters right isn't that what the cc stands for that's right yeah so that actually reminded me of something. There was this really interesting period in golf equipment where the USGA and RNA, the Royal and Asian, so basically the bodies that govern American golf and sort of the rest of the world were different. So Callaway built drivers that and sold them in the States that were marketed as European drivers. So they were illegal to use like in the US Open or whatever, but you could use them overseas. And it was a really finite period of time, but that was always wow. the joke. For, you know, dumb shit 16-year-olds, when you hit a good one, <laughs> ah, Billy's got the Euro driver over there. It, it, crazy <laughs> that, that that was ununified like that. But I, I remember very specifically the Callaway VFT. I would encourage people, if you can, 
if you've never swung a club from the late 90s, early 2000s, please do. Because it is such a disorienting feeling to look at a club head that small when you're so used to something that is literally almost twice as big. I mean, we're talking 200 to uh, 260 cc's to like 460 is the max now, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. So what is what is the upshot from your article that we like did the did the growth of the of the driver heads sort of equal the growth in average distance for your most average golfer? Well, I, I think, I think the least talented golfers probably benefited the most, yeah. uh, which is, which is good. I mean, that, that's kind of what you, it's kind of what you want, but only to a certain extent, because you don't want every Joe Schmo just like bombing at 300 yards, because then there's no advantage to be gained for the people who, who kind of earned that skill. Are talented. Um, right uh you don't want to diminish talent but at the same time you want to make the game more fun and it's just not fun when when you're standing on the tee box and you know you're gonna hit a shitty shot um well that's that's part of it too nick is like to kind of bring it back to your original point what who are these rules for like the rules of golf to me are made at least in the equipment realm and the and the distance and the reining things in all these are made for the point zero 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 one percent of golfer like for the average golfer everyone wants to be better everyone wants to hit the ball farther hit it straighter so i guess part of the appeal of golf is being able to hit the exact same shot as tiger woods does once you know you're not going to strike it as pure but if you're standing on the tee box of the 17th tee at tpc sawgrass and you have an eight iron in your hand, you put it on the green, doing that with equipment that is non-conforming would, would, would feel good, but doing it in a regulated way and regulated in the same way that the best players in the world do creates that same sensation. So I think even though we're making these rules and judgments for the top, top, top tier professionals, I think it's good that everyone is subjected to the same rules. It's like, you know, when you play in a, in a, in a pickup basketball game, the three point line is the same three point line that Damian Lillard's shooting from. Well, it's a, I don't know. I, the, the, the courts I play on use, use the, uh, the old school three point lines, but anyways, that, that's beside the point. <laughs> I would, I would, I haven't been to a pickup court with it, with the NBA lines painted on it, but you know, I'm not out. In, I'm not out in Portland. In oh yeah. You got to come to Portland. Man. We're all, they're painted from 36 feet out here. There we go. Um, I would almost disagree with you there. I mean, I think that for the most part, the rules are for that that very minute percent. But I think this specific time period we're talking about is actually like maybe the one of the only times where the rules changed because of the amateur golfer. So the average male amateur golfer between 19, I think it's 1996 and 2004, 2005, gained 20 yards off the tee. 20 yards with driver in a seven year span. Um, that's insane. Like that, that's legitimately insane. And when the USGA put that limitation on, on club head size, like I said, it's been flat for the last 15, almost 20 years since 2005. Um, so I think that actually was to cap what was happening at the amateur recreational level of the game. Um, you know, other things you see, like, you know, the, the trampoline effect and those things, those are probably more for for the pros who are, you know, to, to keep them shooting 66 instead of, you know, 58. But 
Um, I think this one specific thing, whether whoever it was targeted for, it probably had the biggest impact on that group. Because if if that trend continued, they gained 20 yards in, in seven years. What if what if nothing changed? I mean, how far would would random you know Joe Schmoes not to not to throw your name under the bus be hitting be hitting it today twenty years later? Um, so I, I think that one change to impact the actual ninety nine percent. Yeah, I think that's fair. By the same token, I when I play with someone who hits the ball farther than me. I'm not surprised. Boy, that sounded like an asshole right there. When I see someone hit the ball 300 yards routinely with their driver, it's not surprising. Like when you when you play with someone who hits the ball over 300 on most tee shots, is that a surprising thing to witness for you? Yeah, three 300 is a long way, man. Um, is it? Like, yeah, 300 is... <laughs> I mean, hundred burger routinely. Yeah, no, that's a that's a big poke for, no, for routine. I mean, I'll put it okay. this way. I'll put it this way, Joe. Play. I'll put it this way. Places I play, I hit the ball around two fifty, and I have people being like, "Oh man, you're ball, you really bomb it, dude." And I'm like, "All right, let's settle down." So I mean, again, um, yeah, I know I'm going to come off like an asshole saying this, and that's absolutely fine. I don't think hitting the ball over 300 yards is that impressive of a feat anymore. I just really don't think it is. To me, it's not that cool. Like, it is it is something that a lot of golfers can do. You don't have to hit the ball in the middle of the club face and have a perfect swing to hit the ball 300 yards. You just don't. That's true. That's true. That's very true. It's, it's it, 300 is attainable for for golfers. Like, if you're... If you're a golfer and you're playing re- regularly and you have a swing and you, you know, make it a point to play a good amount of golf, 300 is attainable for sure. Okay. Whereas so, it used to be like insane. So I don't want to say we're at a point where the equipment is capped because every year you see PGA Tour pros hitting the ball farther and farther. And I think that players are starting to view their body more as equipment that they used to not to get into the whole Bryson thing, but I saw the stats for, I think it's Martin Borgmeister and they had his numbers listed out and what he hits the ball. The guy hits his driver 400 yards. Like that is his average carry with a driver like that. People, people are able to move their body in ways that they just weren't able to before. It's just a natural evolution. I don't think there'll ever be a cap in distance when you get to the highest end. Clearly there is when you get to the middle handicappers. We're 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 at that point. I mean, you said distance is declining for some people now, right? Yeah. I mean, at average driver distance from the for the average male golfer, amateur male golfer has, has gone down like 1 yard in the last 15 years. So that's that's something. I think I think it's kind of where it should be, which was which was a surprising conclusion. I expected to find that distance was out of control and courses were going to become obsolete to recreational golfers. And that's not what I found at all. But like, right, we're at a point where everybody can hit the ball as far as they need to. And if you want to hit it farther, you have to put in that work. Like you have to treat your body as equipment. You have to hone your swing a little bit. Like you have to actually work for it. You can't just go out and buy it and and get an advantage that somebody else who just can't afford it doesn't have. It, it's, it comes down to, okay, it's a level playing field. We've all got 460 CC drivers. Now it's about, like I said, doing that work, whether it's in the gym or, or optimizing your swing or whatever it is. 
um, to, to get that extra distance. So I think it's fine if you, if people do bomb it and keep gaining distance and gaining distance, because as the numbers have shown, most people aren't, aren't putting in that work. So if you want to get an advantage, you have to actually earn it. So if I'm reading what you put together correctly, the average driver's distance in 2019 is 217 yards. That's that's across the spectrum. That is amateur male golfers. Amateur male golfers, 217. Yes. Was that a surprising number to hear or to see? Yeah. I, I, I'm not surprised it was low-ish. I mean, I would consider that to be kind of low, but uh, I'm not I'm not too surprised because there's a lot of, you know, this is this could be seniors, this could be whatever. It's it's you know, so it's a little bit shorter than I than I would have thought, but um I think the biggest surprise is that it hasn't just ballooned in the last like I would have said if, if you told me it was 217 today, I would have told you it was probably 203 in 2010. Nothing depresses me more than when I see those graphs or metrics about how far oh. You should be hitting the ball according to your handicap. Do you do you align with that? Like, does your handy? Because oh, I, I align with feeling depressed when <laughs> when I see those graphs. I think I saw one. I, I saw one recently within the last month, and I took. I have. I use Arcos. I've got a little a literal GPS sensor in my in my grip that tells me how far I hit. My average drive, I think, is like two fifty three, and I should have been like a two point six handicap. And um, I'm yeah. sitting here at an eighteen point five. Like, damn, yeah, my damn, my my approach game really needs some work. <laughs> I know. I want to know why I'm so bad at everything else. Like maybe it's because I hit it 284 fairways over. Maybe that's the problem. I hit it 280 on the road, but you know, I'm still <laughs> seven and a half. I digress. Nick, it's an interesting article. I encourage the folks to go find it. Go to golflink.com, search Nikki Ice, and you'll find it there. Um That's right. I I am I am I am overjoyed about our mad golfer of the week. Did you, did you look at this one? Nope. Oh. Mad golfer of the week is brought to you by T box coffee, a roaster order coffee brand in the heart of Southern California package for the golfer who can shoot 68, the golfer who shoots 112, and every score in between let T box fuel your morning rounds with promo code turn 15 at checkout. All right, Nick, this is from TPC Summerlin, which is the site of the PGA Tour event that just wrapped up in Vegas. I know this course very well because it was on my Super Nintendo cassette PGA Tour 1995. I used to take old sweet swinging Bruce Litsky out there and scrap and shoot for a 64 out there. I'm sure it was like 6,300 yards back then, but still, it's so funny when you have golf video games, how well you knew the course. I had a 64 disc disc listen to me i sound like i'm 95 years old a video <laughs> game uh from nintendo 64 it was just wildlife country club it was literally a game where you played one course over and over again <laughs> that's where they have the sony open out in hawaii so i gotta find a way I to get it. out there at some point yeah. um this is from paul asiello we're gonna go with quote Call to make a reservation directly multiple times, discuss the date and occasion, entertaining customers, had to book through their passport system. At no time did anyone mention the condition of the course. Even at check-in, as they charged me full price, no one mentioned the condition of the course. The greens were punched, the traps were being refilled, and fairways were non-existent. <laughs> 
Can we pause right there? What does like, non-existent does mean? mean? I don't know. Like just dirt? Understand. Like just dug it up? Yeah, well, he goes on. Fairway grass, I guess he found it, was matted and hard like cement. The course was in abysmal shape. Attention to detail and service is prominently featured on the website. I called to complain about the experience and was told, this is what we do. (laughs) I'd love to know the exact words that Paul went with. And then they replied, this is what we do. He goes on, worst golf experience of my life would never go back. Here's the capper. Can't rate lower than a one star. Otherwise, I would. Oh, Paul. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Paul. I'm, I, I've got some golf in my future. And despite the fact that you've been warning myself and the fellow at the term patrons to oh, check no. uh, if the greens are punched, I didn't I just didn't I just didn't think about it until this evening. And I went I went to go check this course I'm playing. No. And um, their their website, it's like it's like they let the domain expire. It's like there's a link to it, no, but no. it's just like doesn't exist. So I'm oh no, super. And then I went on the the tea booking service, and there's still tea times for like every slot available, <laughs> which makes me think that, that people are not um, excited to play this course right now. So I am, I guess I'm gonna have to set the bar low for for what to expect when I get out on the course. Wait, why don't you just call them? Well, it's eight o'clock at night. I just thought about it before I before I jumped on right here. Nobody's there right now. And what am I going to do? What are, if they tell me they, they're punching right now? I'm still going to go play. Patrons, don't be like Nick Heidelberger. <laughs> call ahead, please. Call ahead. We obviously have to do it. Don Merkin told us that we have to do it. By the way, I had myself a little day with Merck at Rose City. Yeah, you we play, you play to- golf with him. Tell me about that. <sighs> I mean, I. I sure tried to. Uh, Merck likes to party on the golf course. That was mm. that was a time we had out there. I'm not a surprise. I had the score. I had the scorecard at the end of the day, and I was writing down my score. And I took it from the cart. And as I was leaving my cart, Merck looked at me and goes, "Dude, you're not going to post this round, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> it was a great time. Uh, we took awesome. some videos out there, but um, yeah, I acted like a real rookie out there. Um, I got. I got I got sucked in by the fun with Merck. Uh, we lost a few bucks out there, but it was it was a hell of a day. Gorgeous. It was like 86 degrees. The summer won't end out here, Nicholas. It's unbelievable. That's great. Eat yeah, the temperatures are high, and so is my handicap. Anyway, that is your Mad Golfer of the Week. Nick, it is time. I hear the crickets in the background, which is appropriate because there's no theme song still pending for <laughs> Nick Rules. Use promo code DURN20 at checkout at matchstickgolf.com. Proud sponsor of Nick Rules. What do you got? I think we're going to get a theme song pretty soon for this. For this, I bit. think so. Things are Big things are in the works for At The Turn. Well, we're talking about equipment a little bit today and specifically drivers and how much farther people are hitting the ball. And I thought... Let's go a little bit to the fringe and um, investigate long drive and the rules of long drive and the equipment oh. rules of long drive because I I never really knew like can you just can you just hit whatever or do you does your equipment and long drive have to fit certain rules and are those rules the same as the USGA? Well, Joe, it turns out 
The Professional Long Drivers Association mandates that drivers used in competition are USGA legal. So for a long driver to be legal, it must meet two important criteria. First, must not exceed 48 inches, the maximum length. And second, the trampoline effect, scientifically called coefficient of restitution, or core, must not exceed <laughs> the limit of 0. 0.0830 plus, okay, this is super technical. Here the limit go. is is 0. 0.822 with a 0. 0.08 tolerance to get uh, you to that maximum legal limit of my 0. tolerance 0. is pretty low Anyways, right now <laughs> yeah, the tolerance for core coefficient restitution just just tell me if it passes or fails bottom line they got to use legal drivers so okay i always find these discussions about length of driver and you know all this moment of inertia stuff so interesting do you have any idea the length of your driver any idea yeah, I do. I do. Um, do you really? Yes. I think it's like 40. No, I, I couldn't. I think it's like 43 and three quarters. It's a little bit shorter. Like I want to say like 44 and a half is like standard. And I know when I got mine, it's pretty recent that I got mine just a couple of year or two ago. Um, I got it a little bit shorter than like, you know, than, than the big ones. You could tell me my driver is 60 inches or 18. I have absolutely no idea how long my driver is. For someone who thinks about golf, talks about golf, plays golf, length of time being familiar with the sport, I know so little about that kind of stuff. I have absolutely no idea how long my driver is. I know it's conforming because I bought it from yeah. Golf Galaxy, and Don wouldn't do me like that. I know it's less than 48 inches, but in terms of it being, like, pushed to the max, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, you, know what mean, else, you know what else, Nick? You don't really do. I am so bad, and I think most people are, at determining the length of putt they have by saying it out loud. When someone says, oh, I got a four-footer, or oh, I got an eight-footer, Every single time I think people are wrong and off by at least one or two feet. I think no one is correct about saying how long a putt is. Because the way I think about the length of a putt is I think about a six-foot-tall person. And I think about them laying down from the hole to their golf ball. And I think, is that a six-foot person? Is that Could Yao Ming lay down in between that cup and that ball? <laughs> no, because it's not an eight-foot putt. What are we talking about here? I really think I'm so, so bad at that. Yeah, I, I I laugh because that's that's the exact same way I think. About it. I'm like, is it really someone laying I, down? Yes, it's like if I, I I'm six feet tall, and if I laid, I'm like, is this putt longer or shorter whoa. than me? But like whoa. when you when you whoa, what did you just say? Are you six feet tall? Yeah, I mean that you, could be true. Again, you could be six three or five ten. <laughs> I have no idea. You're taller than me. I just I I'm, used to be around you every day, and I just haven't been around you very much. So I hope your wife texts well, me in grown. twenty minutes. <laughs> well, she used to she used to not believe that I was six feet tall as well <laughs> until like the first one hundred gas stations we went to. I would have to stand by the by the the height thing by the door just to prove to her that I'm legitimately six feet tall, but I, it's true. I'm six feet tall. But yes. I, I think about if I lay down, would, would the puppy longer than me? But a person when they're lying down looks shorter than 
than when they're standing up. Like <laughs> six feet tall, like horizontally seems shorter than six feet tall vertically. Well, it is. You're about six inches off the ground when you're lying down. It's true. It's God, Nick is concept. six we've feet tall. Way, we've gotten way Yeah, we've gotten way off topic. No, this is this is perfect. This is what a podcast is. I have to tell you, and we have to close up shop. This is going to be perhaps a shorter episode than the, the usual 45 that we have. Buddy, this isn't even about golf. Do you guys do those meal kits? Do you do you like do you ever buy like a meal kit in the store? You ever got like a, a Hello Fresh box before? Uh, a lifesaver when when both of our children were born. Uh, mm. Yeah, we, we, is that we've done right? them. Yeah, yeah. Gro- grocery shopping is already the the worst thing in the world, and like when you have to do it, and then like have screaming yeah. children or or yeah. leave your spouse with screaming children. It's just it just sucks. Or you're eating shit every single day for every meal because like nobody's doing grocery shopping. So both time when when our children were born, we we did like a month or like you know, yeah, I think about a month each. And um, yeah, it, it was it, it was nice. It was nice. I wouldn't do it like all the time, but it was nice. God, the kid factor is huge. I always that's that's such a big variable for people our age as a it's as a non parent versus a parent. It's like, well, yeah, of course you guys do meal kits. We're we're very much a cooking household because I worked for home for two and a half years. Lace is in the office now, so I'm cooking. And I'm used to cooking. We have groceries in the house, but we had a meal kit tonight. And as someone who like has stuff in the house and cooks and does all that, the meal kit is a nightmare because it's it's little tiny packages that I have to cut open. It's very finite. It's it's more of a a science. And I want to cook with a little bit of romance. You know what I'm saying? I have this amount of sour cream. I have this amount of mustard. I have this amount of panko crumbs. What if I want more panko crumbs? Mustard. It's a very stressful experience for me. But you're right. With the kids, wow, especially the little ones. Opposite. Yeah. Well, you know what? This is what makes us good podcast partners. We have differing opinions on things, but we also agree like on how we measure putts, a human being laying down from the cup to the golf ball. It's the yin and the yang, and that's what you're going to get on At The Turn. Do you have anything else before we wrap up? That was I'm, – I'm at the bottom of the I mean, now, I feel like right I could do another 30 minutes on, on meal kits, but I'm just going to leave it alone. You sure? No, I'm not going to leave it alone. The Go pre-measured ahead. portions is such a, a lifesaver. You don't have to think about like – how Getting much out of measuring is, cup? is like, you know, is how many ounces are in a cup? Like you don't have to worry about any of that. It's just like, boom, open this thing and pour all of it into your meal and then you're done. It's, it's, it's so much easier. Okay. So are you the person who, okay. Pre-kids, because you've been with Ashley for a decade now, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats. Yes. Uh, so are you the one who cooks usually like before the kids? Um, I would say... 75% Nikki Ice. Yeah. 25% yeah. Coach Ash. Okay. Fair. So are you do you do you like cooking? Do you feel like you're good at it like without the meal prep? Or have you transitioned into this and now going back is difficult? Um before we we had kids, before we even had our for our first, I was starting to get to like, okay, like we're trying new meals. We're like, we're actually like improving at new meals. Now dinner is just a survival thing. You don't, you don't do it for enjoyment. You don't, you don't like, it's just literally, I, I have to eat. And what, what can I eat to, to stay alive for another day? And it, there's, it's, you don't do it for like, you know, enjoyment, satisfaction, you know, nutrition. It's, it's, it's a survival. It's a survival thing. You know, but when we get back to, when we get our lives back, whenever that may be, um, 
yeah, I think I think we'll hone in some some good recipe. I, I, I kind of enjoy crafting something that I that I enjoy eating. I'll put it that way. Yeah, baking. I I I do a big bake around the holidays. I made a I made a figgy pudding a couple years ago. I made like this really elaborate carrot cake, like from scratch a couple years ago. It's good stuff. Go to Blue Apron, use promo code TURN10 at checkout for 10% off. Newest sponsor to the program, Blue Apron. We're hoping to get HelloFresh as well. I'm glad I got that out. I'm glad I remembered. I really came in frantic, and it wasn't just the internet situation. It was also the home meal kit situation. So I'm glad I get everything off my chest. This is basically a therapy session for me at the end of the day. A little bit of golf. Mostly therapy and my men's club. By the way, I'm not going to run. I decided I'm not going to run for a position. Really? Yeah. Next time on At The Turn. Next time on At The Turn, <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss Joe's lack of candidacy for the Glendevere Men's Club Association. Wow. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time at The Turn.